I too would like to greet each one in the name of Christ, our Lord and Savior, this morning. Also want to welcome each one out for the service, a special welcome to our visitors. Just trust that you can uh, feel at home with us this morning and can worship with us. Do appreciate what's been shared this morning. And um, yeah, I guess I'm challenged as I consider the thought of contentment in my own life. Um, I don't know, sometimes it's, it's good just to talk about some stuff like this to help us realize where we're at. And um, I know I could grow much in the area of contentment. Just going back over some of the last few Sundays here. A few weeks ago, I, I preached a, a message on the subject of deception, kind of a, um, an introductory message, I guess you could say, and um, wanted to share a, a few more messages on, on areas of deception that we face, that I think are challenges for us. And then two weeks ago, Brother Dave Miller was here. He shared on um, some Anabaptist history and what we stand for, how we got here. And uh, just looking, the, the title of his message was something like, Why I Am an Anabaptist. And then a week ago, uh, Brother Jay preached a message entitled Spiritual Drowsiness and just looking at our tendencies to, to grow lax, to be a little lazy in the Christian life. This morning, I would, I've entitled the message, The Deception of Worldliness. And I'd like to consider this morning the dangers of being drawn from the truth of God's, world, God's word to worldliness. And this has, has been a burden of mine as, I guess, as we um, look around and see the tendencies of man. I look at relatives of mine who have moved away from the principles of God's word. I think of some of my... Um, yeah, my parents' um, siblings, and uh, also some of my, my cousins, and I, I look at it a little closer to home as um, some of our family members' um, siblings have uh, moved from some of the um, principles of God's Word to, to um, yeah, other, or, other areas, other choices that they've made. And I believe that if we don't know our identity, why we believe and practice as we do, we can go back to the message a couple weeks ago. If we don't know that, and if we couple that with spiritual drowsiness, that we are primed for the deception of this world and to be drawn away. I 
I also believe that when a person has understood and accepted the teachings of God's word and later lays those aside, uh, voluntarily puts those teachings aside, I do have a concern for them and where they are at and, um, and where that can all lead to. And I would like to invite you this morning for an opening passage to turn to the book of 2 Thessalonians. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. And, and this morning, as we, as we consider, as we look at some of these, um, the things we're, yeah, I want to talk about, I want to acknowledge that um, I do not want to pass judgment. Um, so good for me in the Sunday school lesson, uh, what was shared a little bit there about um, Paul um, not looking on others in judgment for, um, for where they were at and, and the gospel that they were preaching, though it was different from what he was preaching. Um, I do not want to pass judgment, and yet as I consider uh, where we are and the tendency of, tendencies of mankind to, um, to consider um, where we're going and and where things can lead to. 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 1. I'm going to read the entire chapter here and be pausing to make some comments as we go. It begins, Now we beseech you, brethren, by the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and by our gathering together unto him. So he opens this chapter here with a looking forward to the return, the coming again of Christ. And I believe that that was very much of, of Paul's focus. Um, we're going to see here uh, more his gratefulness for the gift of salvation, but also he had a longing and a looking forward to Christ's return or to his going to be with Christ. It says, I beseech you, and then verse 2, that ye be not soon shaken in mind, or be troubled, neither by spirit, nor by word, nor by letter as from us, as that the day of Christ is at hand. Just a little bit from this verse. Don't be shaken in mind, he's saying. Don't be troubled. And just an exhortation to steadfastness in the faith. Verse 3, let no man deceive you by any means, for that day shall not come, except, except there come a falling away first, and that man of sin be revealed, the son of perdition. Here he brings out deception. Do not be deceived. And also just points out we should expect that there will be deception in the last days, a falling away and um, talks about the man of sin. And going on into the next number of verses here. 
um, uh, looking at that, the, the man of sin being revealed and the deception that will happen in the last days. And I believe that we can see that happening around us. It says in verse 4, Who opposeth and exalteth himself above all that is called God, or that is worshipped, so that he as God sitteth in the temple of God, showing himself that he is God. Remember ye not that when I was yet with you, I told you these things. And now ye know what withholdeth that he might be revealed in his time. For the mystery of iniquity doth already work. Only he who now letteth will let until he be taken out of the way. And then shall that wicked be revealed, whom the Lord shall consume with the spirit of his mouth, and shall destroy with the brightness of his coming. Even him whose coming is after the working of Satan with all power and signs and lying wonders, and with all deceivableness of unrighteousness in them that perish, because they receive not the love of the truth that they might be saved. And for this cause, God shall send them strong delusion that they should believe a lie, that they all might be damned who believe not the truth, but had pleasure in unrighteousness. But we are bound to give thanks always to God for you, brethren, beloved of the Lord, because God hath from the beginning chosen you to salvation through sanctification of the spirit and of belief and belief of the truth. So we know we can expect deception as we are in the last days. The devil is out to deceive. And I don't um, claim to understand all of what's in some of these verses here. Of that man of sin and um, his being revealed. But as we come into verse 13, he alludes to the need for one another, the need for each other as brothers and sisters in Christ. Verse 12, verse 13, I'm sorry. We are bound to give thanks always to God for you. Paul recognized his need for his brothers. And he was also grateful for the work that God was doing in them. And, and I believe he also recognized his place that he had in their lives. He also brings out how he brought the message of salvation to Thessalonica. And I don't believe he was, um, had a pride in that, um, but he, it is a work that God had called him to do. And, you know, if we are going to be preserved from deception, we as brothers and sisters need one another. We need the encouragement of one another. We need the, we need each other to help to sharpen ourselves and to see where we are. Whereunto he called you, verse 14, by our gospel to the obtaining of the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, brethren, stand fast and hold the traditions which ye have been taught, whether by word or our epistle. That word, um, traditions there, hold fast the traditions. Other versions would use words like 
the teachings or doctrines or instructions, to, to hold on to them, to stand fast in them, whether it's the things that Paul was bringing to them or whether it was what he had written to them. And verse 16, Now our Lord Jesus Christ himself and God, even our Father, which hath loved us and hath given us everlasting consolation and good hope through grace, comfort your hearts and establish you in every good word and work. That prayer there he gives, that God would comfort their hearts, would establish them, he says, in every good word and work. Verse 2 talked about not being shaken or troubled in mind. An established heart will not soon be shaken, will not soon be deceived. And I had to ponder there, what are some things that can cause us to be shaken, that can cause us to be unstable in mind? And a couple things I thought of. One was difficult experiences that we face can, can sometimes cause us to be shaken. A um, few I have down here are home experiences or church experiences that are difficult. Difficult relationships or just coming to discouragement and defeat, feeling discouraged because of defeat, maybe you could say. I had to think of a, a situation years ago um, that I, I had seen fairly firsthand. Um, the church we were in in Alaska was, was facing difficult times. And there was some division um, at, at that present time. And I well remember a Wednesday evening that the deacon got up and he shared about a couple, a family, young family. Uh, I don't know, their oldest may have been 10, 12 years old, something like that. That had, they had come from a um, non-conservative background and uh, were members there of the church. And um, we, we appreciated them. But he got up and he shared that they have withdrawn their membership. And that was, um, that was a hard thing. And I just remember a comment he made, something like, it's time, that this was the deacon that shared, he said, it's time to put away our swords. Time to stop fighting. But there was a difficult situation where brothers and sisters were not um, at the time working well together. We're not in agreement. And I believe that it was a division that was shaking a heart. Had there been unity in the congregation, a working together, I believe it could have been a strengthening to that heart. And 
you know, that family moved on. Um, I'm not sure where everything ended up there, but um, there was a lot that they um, threw away. And um, yeah, like I say, I'm not exactly sure where they ended up, but, um, but there were things happening there that affected the strength of their heart. I also believe that another thing that can cause us to be shaken in mind is convincing talk. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 11, verse I want to... Um, pull out here, the, uh, verse, I'm sorry, verse 14, uh, be reading 11 through 16. Uh, talks here some about um, the gifts and about unity. It says, and he gave some apostles and some prophets and some evangelists and some pastors and teachers for the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ till we all come in the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, unto a perfect man, unto the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, that we henceforth be no more children, tossed to and fro, and carried about with every wind of doctrine, by the slight of men and cunning craftiness, whereby they lie in wait to deceive. But speaking the truth in love may grow up into him in all things, which is the head, even Christ, from whom the whole body, fitly joined together and compacted by that which every joint supplieth, according to the effectual working in the measure of every part, maketh increase of the body unto the edifying of itself in love. A couple phrases there in verse 14 that we henceforth be no more children tossed to and fro, carried about with every wind of doctrine. And, you know, I think sometimes as we hear convincing talk about, um, it can be various issues that we know we don't agree with, but sometimes we can be a little bit shaken. Uh, my wife and I have uh, faced some of that as we think of the, um, some of the direction of, of family that we have faced and um, the, the things that we hear, um, convincing talk. It can sound good, and yet where is the life to match up with it? And um, that's been a, a challenge to me, that sometimes you can question, are we really um, in the right way? But uh, I believe that as we look where the talk and the walk match up, we can follow that. And uh, we do not face deception as we follow those, um, those teachings um, of those who are uh, faithfully serving the Lord and in obedience with the word of God. 
A somewhat general path that I've observed in my short life, um, I've observed some people leaving one church, one body, and moving on to another with fewer guidelines. And, you know, they may be um, congregations with scriptural applications, but simply allowing more liberties. And, you know, we, as I say, we don't want to pass judgment. But there are times that we see that continued, that that is a stepping stone, and they move on to maybe to a group that has disregarded many of the teachings of Scripture. In my teen years, someone influential in my life shared a couple of concepts with me. The first one was maybe a little bit more of a question, something like this. If we would follow the teachings of the New Testament, would we need church guidelines? Okay. We'll just leave that for the moment here. The second one was we should not do things to be different from the world for the sake of being different, but rather we should do it because the Bible teaches it. And I'm not sure the issue then may have been that we were, was being talked about or thought about or whatever was maybe the issue of t-shirts. And, you know, at, at the time in my youth, these concepts sounded nice to my youthful ears. Um, would we need church guidelines if everyone followed the New Testament? I'm, I'm not going to give you a straight answer on that. As um, time went on, I, I would have developed some of my own views on that. But what stands out to me today is that today you would likely not differentiate this person and his family from the world around them. And I've, I've heard from him some shaky thought on his views of divorce and remarriage as well. And, you know, some of these things, um, it sounds good, but I think we also recognize our humanity as well. The path for this person was gradual over the years, but it was that same path of moving on to a church with fewer guidelines and moving on again to, like I said, likely we wouldn't differentiate um, to see them as family from the world. I attribute this next quote to Brother Jonathan Schmid. Maybe you've heard it. I think I've probably shared it before here. It goes something like this. If you get to where you are going, will you be where you want to be? 
If you get to where you are going, will you be where you want to be? Brother Jay, last Sunday, brought out a little bit about the saying, it's the heart that matters. And I I believe that. I, I firmly believe that. It is the heart that matters. But I also believe that we can't use that as an excuse to throw away the truths, the principles, and the applications of God's word. The outward can show where the heart is. Consider the direction of your life and the direction you are preparing and launching your children. One thing I like to think about sometimes is where have you, where have I traveled in the past 10 years? I know some of you may have um, not been Christians at that time. Maybe you want to put the number in there that, that uh, works well for you. But where have you been moving? What direction have you and I been moving? We can, an obvious one I think that we think of is, is in areas of dress. In the places you go. What about the music we listen to? What about our advancements with technology? And, and this one has been a, a concern to me as I think of how some things like, like the videos and the movies have just kind of crept in to our midst. Just kind of happened. Do we realize the effects that these things can have on us, on our children, and on the future of the church. Next question is in 10 more years, what will you see when you look back on your life? If you consider where you are today, and in 10 years you look back, and we can't answer that question this morning, but will we be willing to look back and say, here is where I have moved. You're gonna move. In time, you're gonna move. Uh, Which direction? Are we moving? As a congregation, where are we going? I think we're all well aware of the tendency of of not just individual people, but whole churches to drift. Who is leading us? As I think of the trends that happen throughout the world and they have their way of infiltrating into the church who really is leading us and you know one simple thing I think of in in that is the glasses that we wear Um, and I'm not looking at these as right and wrong issues Um, you know I see some glasses that people wear now that just about wouldn't have got caught seeing 15 years ago in, in glasses like that. And I remember years ago, um, I remember a picture of my dad when he was probably 
probably about my age. I can't remember for sure. And, and the glasses he wore. And it was, it was a little amusing to look back on that. Sometimes we're seeing glasses that are not so far off from that anymore. Leave that for whatever it's worth. Who's leading us? Sometimes in some of those things, it's, it's what's available. Um, the trends do change, and um, we don't have, just for that simple one, we don't have Mennonites making glasses. So <laughs> um, anyways, another one I'm going to bring up here um, is, is the issue of, of beards. Um, and I am not here saying that beards are, that we should not have beards. But one thing I go back to, I, I come from Holmes County, Ohio, where it was, it was very common for men in circles like ours to have beards. There was more of the Amish influence there and coming from that. Um, it was actually, yeah, it was a um, respected thing to have a, a neat, a trimmed beard. I would say that I, I don't know, you all have been around through this all too, probably about 15 to 20 years ago, there was a change in our world in the type of beards you saw. And what was happening about 15 to 20 years ago um, Duck Dynasty was coming around. And I think, I stand to correction, but I think that that has affected some of the type of beards that um, we see today in our conservative, our Mennonite circles. Where do you draw the line? an article by a Melvin Yoder in the Calvary Messenger talked about speed limits. When we have a speed limit of 55 miles an hour, there are people who have a hard time keeping it under 65. Okay, the line is at 55. They have a hard time keeping it under 65. You bump the speed limit up, say to 65, they have a hard time keeping it under 70 or 75. Okay, the line gets moved and the line continues to get pushed. He also talked about possessions. And the example he gave was of a, a young couple, and I think this was an imaginary example, but a couple wanting to start out farming. So they buy a farm and they just want to make a living farming. And then a neighboring farm comes up for sale. Oh, okay. Well, it might take some sacrifice, might be some hard going at times, but they go on, they get the next farm. And the next farm comes up and they, they purchase the next farm because it's such a good deal. Where does just wanting to make a living uh, where has that line gone? And as, as we think of possessions, we can go back to the Sunday school lesson this morning, contentment. Um, we want the next thing. And 
It may bring a false contentment for a little bit, but we go on, the next and the next. We continue to want more. And we can p compare this lines. Where, where do you draw the line? Uh, no matter where the line is, um, there can be a tendency to want to push that line. And even so, as it is in the church, when the, when the church lowers the lines, the new lines also tend to get pushed. This morning, if we as God's people are being led by the world, where will it lead to? What might be the casualties that we might see over time? Do we, uh, in preparation for this message, I um, went over a few articles from the Calvary Messenger. And just good articles of concerned men about the direction of our churches, the direction of people, humanity. And I asked this morning, do we hear the cry of the prophets? Okay. Are we willing to listen to those who are warning us of, of the direction and the deception as we move closer to the world or as we face those tendencies? Or do we tend to discredit them? You know, the cry of the prophet generally is not pleasant to hear. It generally doesn't feel good. The cry of the prophet generally steps on our toes. Are we willing to hear Jeremiah 6.16 says, Thus saith the Lord, Stand ye in the ways, and see, and ask for the old paths. Where is the good way? Where is the good way? And walk therein, and ye shall find rest for your souls. But they said, We will not walk therein. And I think the next verse talks about the watchman blowing the trumpet and, and just not listening to the sound of the trumpet, the watchman. Ask for the old paths. Where is the good way? The old paths, or could we say the truths, the simplicity of the teachings of God's word. Therein ye shall find rest for your souls. Are we willing to walk therein and stay within the paths that God has designed for us? Just in closing here, I'd like to turn to 2 Timothy Second Timothy chapter one. Paul is giving encouragement to the young Timothy. Second Timothy one verse six. Wherefore I put thee in remembrance that thou stir up the gift of God, which is in thee, by the putting on of my hands. For God hath not given us the spirit of fear, but of power, and of love, and of a sound mind. Be not thou therefore ashamed of the testimony of our Lord, nor of me his prisoner, but be thou partaker of the afflictions of the gospel, according to the power of God, who hath saved us, and called us with an holy calling, 
not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace, which was given us in Christ Jesus before the world began, but is now made manifest by the appearing of our Savior, Jesus Christ, who hath abolished death and hath brought life and immortality to light through the gospel, whereunto I am appointed a preacher and an apostle and a teacher of the Gentiles. For the which cause I also suffer these things, nevertheless I am not ashamed. For I know whom I have believed, and am persuaded that he is able to keep that which I have committed unto him against that day. Hold fast the form of sound words, which thou hast heard of me in faith and love which is in Christ Jesus. That good thing which was committed unto thee keep by the Holy Ghost which dwelleth in us. So Paul is encouraging young Timothy not to be ashamed of the Lord, not to go back on his faithfulness to God, and also not to be ashamed of Paul, who was a prisoner at this time. Paul recognized that what he was facing, he was facing for the sake of Christ, for the sake of the gospel. I think his cry here is simply, Timothy, don't give up. And I don't know what Timothy was faced with. Um, I think we, we think that he was likely a, a timid young man. And Paul was just there to encourage him. And one thing he did was he kept the gift of salvation in view for Timothy. He reminded him of the gift of salvation. And if we're going to be faithful... If we're going to be kept from deception, we need to keep that view and value of the gift of salvation in the forefront. Paul's testimony, verse 12, For I know whom I have believed and am persuaded that he is able to keep that which I have committed unto him against that day. As Paul was committed to Christ, He didn't need to fear deception and being drawn away. This morning, I asked, do you and I, do we know what we have been saved from? And do we know why we are a part of a Bible-believing group? Are our convictions anchored in Christ and in his word? I believe that some of these things need to be settled in our minds to be kept from the deception of the world. And I also believe that as a brotherhood here, we have a responsibility to each other to help one another to become settled and established in our minds, in our faith, and in our understanding of of God and his word and his plans for us. So I just want to encourage each one of us that we continue looking to God, not to become discouraged and fearful of deception. Paul said that God has not given us the spirit of fear, but of power 
of love and a sound mind. And I guess, I believe as we keep that, those three, the power, the love, and the sound mind in Christ, that we will be victorious and faithful over the deceptions that Satan would throw at us. Let's kneel together for prayer.